This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get delivered to your door for a fraction of the price you'd pay in stores. To learn more right now, please visit casper.com slash supertrain. Hello. Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. <clears throat> How's it going? Well, hello, mm-hmm. Merlin Lou. Mm-hmm. Goodbye, heart. Merlin Lou. So, I'm so in love with you. Here he comes. That's Roderick's clown. <laughs> John. Here he comes. It's Stacy's mom. <laughs> Walking down the street. Did you watch the young ones when you were coming up? I did. Have you heard the news? Uh, there's a there's there's young ones news. They're <laughs> breaking. Uh, were you aware that there was a fifth roommate? Uh, it was yeah, it was Sergey or it was oh uh, yeah yeah Alexei 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 Sale. Alexei, no, Alexei Sale. Sale. It's funny. I was just listening to a great interview with him. No. Uh, can I spoil this for you and blow your mind? Wait, it, was it the squirrel? Oh, and the exploding tomato, the smiling talking tomatoes? Uh-huh, uh-huh. No, uh, there's a fifth roommate. In some production stills or like promotional shots, you'll see the four guys and then this, what looks, it kind of looks kind of like Cousin It, where it's obviously like a woman <laughs> with long hair mm-hmm. with her hair combed over her face. Hmm. She makes an appearance in every episode of the first season, and I've seen those shows a lot. What? And I never saw her. She's usually in the background. And once you see it, first of all, it's incredibly wild that you never notice that she's there. But she's also incredibly creepy because she's just like sitting, like crouched in the background behind the couch with hair in her face. And it's it, it's going to blow your mind when you see what? it. What? Yes. Yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> like scenes that I've seen a whole bunch of times, she's just sitting there in the shadows, and it's she looks like a Korean water ghost. It's totally freaky. Uh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's something to Google. Am I right? Am yeah, I right? I'll send you. I'll send you some uh, some supporting footage. Okay. <laughs> but I heard about it, and I was like, oh, is this going to be one of those things? Mm-hmm. You know, those things on the internet. But it's, yeah, it's is real. it going to be an internet thing or is it going to be a real thing? I I got to be honest with you. I thought it was going to be an internet thing. But, but she's just she's just in the background. She's in, in like some way. party. There's a party scene where everybody's doing bong hits, and she's at the party. But other than that, mostly, I think she's intermittently, occasionally there after the first, as they say, series. But the the first season, uh, she's in at least once, and sometimes many times in every episode, <laughs> somewhere in the background, not participating in the scene. I'm really into it, and this. it's it's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. It's nice to find those kinds of things out. Yeah, that's what they call an Easter egg. Am I right? That's right. You got it. Well done. Well Easter, done. Easter egg. Did you learn that from 4chan, John? <laughs> I, I, know, I know a lot about things from 4chan. This is the thing. Here's the thing about you that a lot of people don't know is that there's a lot of people don't know about you, and I like that. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. like that you, you, uh, you, you deploy personal information tactically. You don't need to let everybody know you like know know a lot about a thing, guy. Like there's little bits you you dribble, it dribbles. John dribbles out at his pleasure. You got to dribble. What well, I I do feel. Did you just hear a sound that sounded like uh, traffic noise in a 1970s movie? I think that was my. my could that have been uh, like exhaling? Like 
Oh, maybe, maybe. Big Does that sound, like, does that sound like Kojak? <laughs> it did for a brief second. <laughs> do you remember in the 1970s where? Yes. Uh, being, <clears throat> do you remember that traffic sounded a lot louder mm. in the 70s? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. It, you only hear that volume of traffic. Like if you're in Manhattan, or in, in some cases in my neighborhood, if you ever like call me when I'm walking down the street, it's it's if the train's going by, it's deafening. But growing up in the suburbs, I always thought you're making this up. There's no way traffic is this loud. Well, like, so this is something that yeah, that uh, millenniums might not know, mm. and even even uh, a generation Xers might not remember. But there was a time when there were no governors on the loudness of car horns. Mm. So all car horns that came out of you know Detroit in the sixties and seventies, like if you hit your car horn, it was like a boat horn. Oh yeah. Uh, uh. Like an, like an old American, an old American sedan, like you would get an F sharp from hell. Like you really, really heard it. And so in the cities, this was before there were a lot of campaigns for traffic politeness. Yeah. Cars would pile up and they would just be honking, honking, honking. That's the human condition right there, isn't it? And it was a deafening noise. We're unhappy. There's nothing we can do about it, so we might as well be unpleasant. Meh, meh. Monk, monk. Auga, or whatever. <laughs> and Auga. Auga. And there were still cars that went Auga. Oh, sure. Up till Jimmy Carter. And that, so later on, it was such a problem. Cities were so loud that they actually passed ordinances and, and, and then furthermore laws that governed the the volume of a car horn so that your car horn could only be a certain number of... I mean, they actually... Wait a minute. You're telling me this was a thing? Yeah, they actually mommy stated uh. the volume of car horns because it, because noise pollution was such a problem. The whole concept of noise pollution. And, you know, and all those that cars... Seemed, when people first started talking about that, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but, you know, for a long time, you could understand air pollution because it was hard to breathe. You could understand water pollution because, we, we you know, we couldn't drink the water. It was hard to breathe water. You could understand you don't want dioxin in the eggs. Like, we understand all that. But when people first... I think it was the 70s equivalent of the word microaggressions. Mm-hmm. When people first heard it, they were like, really? Now yeah. noise is pollution? Yeah. But it was, it was so noticeable when they governed... Uh, the volume of car horns, like it made a tremendous impact on quality of life in cities, like right away. And, um, and then, then they took other steps to, uh, to mandate that your, your city factory and your city, you know, your enterprises had Mm. to also be conscious of the noise that they were producing. And I think you know, car mufflers were a lot louder then. It, it was it was kind of considered an element of a of a cool car that it be really loud just sitting there idling. You could loud. buy cherry bombs. You could buy thrush. That's right. You could buy a glass pack. People might vaguely remember seeing a Woody the Woodpecker type character on the back of a muscle car and thought, "What was that?" Uh, and that runner. means that's a person who paid to have their car go pum 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 pum. Like so, it was fucking loud. Yeah, in the city and and. Every once in a while, I'll be watching like an old 1970s movie, and there will just be a traffic scene where that's just sort of an interstitial moment in the film. But I'll have this powerful recollection of like, oh, wow, that's right. It used to sound like that. Yep. And now it does not sound like that. It sounds like this. And 
it's and it's a major change. Like I had a I have a I have a sense memory or a you know a like a soul memory. Mm. Loud town. Loud town. I get that. I, I've had those soul memories. Mm. So what's your biggest soul memory, Merlin? Oh man, I had one the other day. Oh, I had one that came out of nowhere. I, I, I've spoken periodically about my various best friends in life mm-hmm. and from different eras. Like, for example, uh, a couple years ago, I reconnected with my best friend from first grade on Twitter. Whoa. Who, as it turns out, is the executive producer of many television shows now. Really? I just know him as the guy. He's the first. God bless you, Rob. I hope you're out there. Probably not listening. He's kind of busy. You know, you never <laughs> he's know. making hit TV shows. But he's the first fella with which I competed to see how far we could pee from the urinal. That's big. Mm-hmm. The first guy you ever do that with, we see, well, it's not technically a sword fight. I didn't get into that until, until college. But, but seeing how far you could step away from the urinal and have your stream still go. So I connect with people, sometimes old friends. But I had a, one of my dear old friends was uh, my friend John from, mm, I'm going to say when I was 7 to when I was 11 or 12. Like almost every weekend we were at each other's house, like sleeping over. And he got me into comics. He, got, he, he was my first person I knew who was really into Lord of the Rings, my, my uber nerd friend. And at one point, he got to, I'm going somewhere with this. At one point, he got to move in upstairs. To, at your like, house? The, at his, <laughs> he was there for two seasons. I never <laughs> saw him. He always had his hair over his face. He lived in the attic. By the way, check, was... by the way check your messages. I sent you some photos. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Um, so John got to move from his room on the main floor to up into the attic, which was a you know, fairly finished attic. It didn't have a bathroom, but it had two little a, a, a big bedroom and then a little bedroom oh but, so he he was granted the right yeah he got a couple nice accommodations i can tell you about you, you're not gonna believe what this guy got but so that was awesome because we got to and we didn't do anything like bad we were like the ultimate good kids we sat around and talked about D or whatever but like uh but what i really remember is that that's also where they put the cat box and i don't know if you remember cat boxes from the 70s oh, but a sure cat did. box from the 70s I can just tell you, as somebody who now has a cat with two boxes, they are a damn sight away from cat boxes today. Wait, 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 wait. Your cat has two cat boxes? It's kind of standard now, yeah. Why is it standard? Is this some kind of, is this some kind of thing? I'm happy to circle back to it. Is this a life hack? It's kind of a life hack. Yeah, it's a cat hack. <laughs> it's a cat hack. It's a cat hack? Yeah. You're not going to believe what happens next. <laughs> yeah, well, cat, cat boxes. This is one amazing trick. <laughs> cat boxes could pollute... 900 square feet of a 1,000 square foot apartment. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if it's what the cats were eating or drinking. I don't know if they were their metabolism. I think John well, Syracuse would, 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 would call it adaptation or, 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 uh, or <laughs> evolution. evolution. I, but, think it's the, I think it is the quality of litter. I think it is the, the non-deodorizing litter. litter. Yes, and non-scooping. Non and so like all but the thing is I all I was doing was I was and, uh, and this gets to the second accommodation that John got later which I'd love to tell you about but I was sitting there and I was just for some reason I was thinking about how cool it was I'd get to John's house I'd have my bag we'd go upstairs we would go up the steps and I just I suddenly got smacked in the face with this well, soul memory with this mm. sense memory of that cat box. And I, it was 1978 all over again. I smelled it. I smelled the acrid ammonia cat smell so clearly. It was, it's, it, I imprinted on it. It's the canonical cat box in my head is, is uh, John's cat, which was named uh, Blackie. They, they had a cat named Blackie and a dog uh, named Blackie. Oh, uh, and, the, and the, dog, uh, the dog was scared of the cat. The cat would chase the dog. It was adorable. Of course, of course. I'm, I love Of course, because you were living in a sitcom. <laughs> da, 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 da. You know, my dad's cat was named Puppy. Oh. Yeah. And then uh, when Puppy died, uh, he got another cat, and he named it Puppy 2. 
Oh, see, mm-hmm. that's a nice story about your dad. So adorbs. Did you look at the photos? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't, I don't want to look at it. You're not going to sleep now. I mean, you're not <laughs> no. going to sleep. You're not going to sleep twice. On the one hand, you're going to go, holy shit. I've watched that show. You've seen each of those shows at least once. Oh, yeah. Oh, so that's times. weird. But now look at that photo. Doesn't that look like something from like a Japanese horror film? Well, and the, and the problem is when I first saw it, I was like, I don't think I had a soul memory, but uh-huh. I did have some sense of like, oh, I knew that, but I can't remember knowing it. Like, like, like I don't. I think I noticed that person before, but it would have been 1984, yeah. and I don't remember why or what, because they never interact with her. You're probably, you're probably, I mean, in our case, it was usually, eventually we watched them on video, but they were, I think they were on MTV. They were. In the U.S., yeah. uh, a few years after they were in uh, England, and, uh, you know, you'd be hopped up on Mountain Dew, as you do. As you, as, you do. <laughs> <You're>, ooh, <laughs> as you do. As you do. Wang. Right in that one now. Wow, wow. Uh, I'm Guy Fieri. For young I, uh, ones. I, uh, the other day on Facebook, there's a, there are a couple of reporters, let's call them reporters in mm. quotes, for the Stranger Alternative newspaper here in Seattle, yeah. who are uh, just young enough that they still, well, they're not young enough that they can, with any right, maintain the incredibly arrogant narrow-minded progressivism that they do at their you know like it's a they could if they were 20 you you might find it believable but they're like 30 and writing the political columns for a local alternative paper and it's, it's just it's like adorable oh my god they're so <laughs> awful and one of them they're so, wrote, com- they're so confident yeah they <laughs> don't, are you, very confident. don't you look at them and you're like i wish i was as confident about anything as you are about whatever you think this week yeah, and I mean, and, and they're, they they literally, like, in the newspaper, clench their fists and stamp their feet and go, meh! <laughs> um, and they write, you know, there was some article in the in the paper the other day about how, meh, homelessness is meh, and people are bad, meh, people that wear ties are meh. And, uh, and Sean Nelson posted it on his Facebook page, and I know for a fact that Sean, this is a person that's a co-worker of Sean's, Sean is very gracious about retooting things from his colleagues. That's right. That's part Except, of what he does in his role as what's what's his actual t- is he have a title he's, there? Well, he's an editor of uh, he's like the he's kind of a big shot there. He's the life life editor or okay. the whatever the liberal arts editor. <clears throat> but he posted this without comment, and I think or with with uh, with an oblique comment such that ninety percent of the people could read it, and and he would be doing that New Yorker thing of like retweeting his colleagues. But a few of us recognize that he was retweeting it without comment because he despises this person <laughs> and uh, like personally despises him and despises his and, and doesn't like working with him and all these things. And I read the article and it was just like, meh. And so I, I wrote in the comments, <clears throat> uh, you know, reading this guy is like reading Rick from the young ones journal. <laughs> fascist. <laughs> yeah, fascist. And so the guy, the writer then comments after me because of course right of course he's, sure. li- he's linked in the article uh he's like i'm sorry i don't get that reference oh if only there was some way to find out what that reference was i know and so i so i <laughs> if, you I could, if there like, was some place you could go and say rick from the young rick ones and young find ones. out what that if only if only <laughs> he probably doesn't have an apple watch which uh-uh. is where, where you would do that because an apple watch is part of the you know it's part of uh, colonialism but in any case meh meh uh so i replied um 
oh, don't worry about it. It's a reference from the 60s. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I felt like that was that was exactly how many laughs that was worth. Like two ha-has. But it was at least, I, I felt good about it. It's a reference from the 60s. Go fuck yourself, Rick, from the young ones. I As you were talking about finding your first grade friend who you tried to pee as far as you could? It was a very gentle kind of competition. It was yeah. almost a journey of self-discovery. When men see how far from the urinal they can get, it's not really a pissing contest is the ironic part. It's right. more—it's a form of bonding, really. It's, not, it's funny that it got that term pissing contest, but it's, it's really more a way of saying, let's see what we can do with this business. Well, and there, there, I've been in, there are two different kinds of pissing contests I was in. The one was with the Catholic priest on the outside wall of the fish bar in, in uh, Ketchum, Idaho. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Ibid. which, <laughs> Ibid, right? <laughs> uh, regular listeners to the show will recognize this as uh, coming from the episode. Some, some of Opposite. But uh, and then there was Peter Nosek, who uh, was able, who was taught by his father to be able to pee over his own shoulder. Oh, that's tremendous. Which was Can you the thing imagine I, how many times you got that wrong and you stuck with it? Yeah, right. And and Peter and his father, I mean, neither one of them were especially tall. And then I think that's an advantage when you're trying to pee over your own shoulder. But also a lot of stream control. And we'd be out somewhere, you know, drinking beer and shooting guns. And we'd have to go pee and we'd go over, start peeing in the in the ditch or whatever. And then Peter would, he'd do this like pretty cool contortion you drop a shoulder lean back a little bit um you know like penis in hand and then just the p would he would just start just directing it over his shoulder and could just oh my god it was a for an 18 year old truly an incomparable talent i would never have tried it you know there was no way i would have would would be able to get away with it or, i mean that's I'd the recovered kind of thing it. that's the kind of thing that if memory serves, that's the kind of thing that makes you what I will call a local legend. Yeah. Like yeah. you're not going to appear in journals probably. You're not going to be featured in a national magazine, but you're going to become that one guy that can do that thing. The guy that can pee over his shoulder. And Peter had many, many of these talents. Oh, God bless him. He was a, he was a, he certainly is, remains a legend to me. Uh, but I would, you, as you said that, I realized that my childhood best friend, uh, was a kid named Aaron Kinneman. And over the years, over the last <clears throat> 20 years, I have searched for Aaron Kinneman innumerable times, trying to have the same experience that you're having, of like, my first grade friend, that blah, blah, blah. Like, I had a lot of experiences with Aaron Kinneman. Mm -hmm. He's we got to be out there. got to be leaving a trail. No, but he's not. Hmm. And, the, and the problem is, I don't know how to spell Kinneman. Oh, yeah. Like there are 14 different possible spellings of Kinnaman. And I've tried them all and there's just nothing. And it astonishes me to be in, a, in, in our contemporary life and have, and Aaron Kinnaman is not the only one. <clears throat> the, he's not the only person from my past that I have tried to find on the internet that, that there's just nothing. There's just not a single trace not even those those terrible like white pages right right, right. Like we can find this person her? in uh in you know in this dozen such city yeah so how do you how do you live in the modern world and be completely invisible on the internet i know there are millions and millions billions let's say of people that pull it off but 
but it's still like, as somebody who spent a lot of time on 4chan, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to imagine that even if I wanted yeah. to dox Aaron Kinnaman, I couldn't. <laughs> That's frustrating. <laughs> it's very frustrating. It does what seem if, weird, though, because everybody leaves a trail, you know? Yeah. that's what, when, when you see this is all, I'll give you a little bit of inside baseball here. When somebody uh, shows up on the scene and is being very provocative, and especially if they throw the shape of being somebody in their 20s, um, one thing you can do, and this is not anything near doxing, but it's more like, okay, so if this person purports to be somebody who's in the internet sphere and is definitely not a sock puppet, like, you can go out and you should be able to find something about them not something just embarrassing but everybody leaves a trail these days of just like some dumb thing you forgot about like you in a talent show you know there's something somewhere and when when none of that stuff appears at all it feels weird feels weird and I, i'm not trying to be creepy but i'm just trying to say like this is just a fact of life that if you're somebody these days you know that's that's something that's a thing and but it is strange that somebody who's in their 40s you can't find anything about them yeah yeah right like uh like well, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of I mean, okay, he doesn't have a LinkedIn profile. He was smart. Yeah. He doesn't have a Facebook profile. But like his kids never tagged him in anything. Yeah. His, so his kids don't have a I mean, it's just it it's very frustrating to me because there are a few people from my past that I would like to get in contact with and uh compare that to all the people I am in contact with from my past that I would rather not be in contact with. It's it's just it, it's very frustrating. Mm-hmm. There was I, I dated a girl in college named Latonia Wheeler. You should be nope. able to find Latonia Wheeler. Uh, you should be able to, but you can't. <sighs> Somebody will now, John. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I ch- I challenge you, Internet. Yeah. Oh boy, please don't challenge me. Okay, don't. No, no, no. Stop. <laughs> uh, you were you. I could hear you, Internet, all mm. sharpening your pencils so. and getting getting your <laughs> yellow legal pads out. Stop it. <laughs> Get off your virtual pad. Stop it. Go back to <clears throat> a- animating GIFs. John's uh, grandmother uh, was married to a guy for a long time, and he passed away. And they decided that John's grandmother, who they call, whom they called Nani, she was Nani. awesome, mm-hmm. Nani was going to move in with them. So John's dad, who was a handy guy and was like a woodworker uh, and a machinist. I'm sorry, he's a machinist. He worked at one of the great machining plants in uh, Cincinnati. Oh, the great machining plants of All Cincinnati. All the great machining plants. No, Cincinnati, actually, Cincinnati Millicron, like they made the tools that, they made the precision tools that made the precision tools in Cincinnati. They made the tools <laughs> that made the precision I'm just, tools. I'm still workshopping it. Unfortunately, <laughs> that industry went away quite a while ago, but. All of the tools. All of the tools that you didn't know you need to make all the tools you never knew you needed. Oh, it's in Cincinnati. Woo! Woo! Cincinnati so, making all the tools. Easy, Tex. I got kind of tired of making tools and unpacking. <laughs> lots of tools, making lots of tools. <laughs> that show makes no fucking sense without the original music. Oh my God, it's so insane. It's I hate so copyright. annoying. Like, like this is like Slow Train coming by the Doobie Brothers, and it's like. Deep, 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 deep. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, really? Uh, like a, a, a DX7 with some, some synth patches. <laughs> wonk, wonk, wonk. So John's dad, this is quick, set himself to the task of going through their um, unfinished basement and making an apartment for her. How great is this? Unfinished basement, it is an incredible album. <laughs> 
two, three, four. <laughs> and so John, uh, John's dad made her a, a beautiful apartment with like a uh, a full bath, you know, with the, with a shower. A he put kitchen. in a false floor. <clears throat> he put in like a I don't know if it's a false floor. Oh, you saying so you could hide like a, like a German bear bonds? No, not like a Al Capone false floor. It was not like about... a concrete floor. It was carpeted and whatnot. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Yeah, it had a big nap to it. I mean, this is you know this is the the seventies. Sure, it was nappy. So anyway, long story short, they uh, made this, and she lived there for a long time, and she helped with the kids, and she was awesome. And then you know, uncannily enough, she uh, got married to another guy at our church, right, like a guy she in was... his sixties. She was probably 48 years old. That's what's so frustrating. <laughs> she was already a great-grandmother. Oh, she's a grandma. Uh, 51 <laughs> he, years old. He dipped his camels in Maker's Mark. Uh, and so then when she moved out with Jim Beal, Dr. Beal, um, then John graduated from getting to be in the place upstairs to getting the entire finished Ooh. basement. He oh. had his own apartment inside the house when he was 11. Uh, when he was eleven, yes, this is this is this is when we were pals. I went through John having the original room, into John having the upstairs room, into John graduating down into the room, and it had a ping pong table. He oh. all down there, and it was he got his, had his own little house inside inside of the house. Oh my god, it was astonishing. And the thing was, we were good kids. We were good Christian kids. Like sure. what did we what what was like the, the worst thing we did was watching other people do fireworks. <laughs> One of the kids was really injured. I bet he was. He got burned. He had to wear burned a thing on his neck. I uh, this happened to me. Can you imagine this that an apartment in your, uh, your own apartment? Isn't that kind of your? Well, this is John Hodgman's dream, right? Well, John Hodgman actually had like a whole half of a house. Oh, because, that's right. Yeah, but I actually I had the same experience. Like my when my mom moved into her new house when I was in ninth grade, right before ninth grade. This was the period when she decided that I was so incorrigible that the way she was going to punish me was by making me go live with my father. <laughs> and so she moved into the new house, and there was a bedroom in there that, was, that should have been my bedroom, but she turned it into, like, the fern room or the sewing room or something. And she was like, <laughs> The You're gift wrapping room. <laughs> the gift wrapping room. And I, was not I love welcome. the idea of the gift wrapping room. <laughs> oh, it's, it's exactly what it was, right? Just, like, a bunch of stuff <laughs> what, in there. What a giant fuck you to somebody in your family <laughs> to yeah. have a room for wrapping presents. It's a bedroom in the the house and my mom basically climbed into it and said this is my dog crate <laughs> she just right. populated it with all a bunch of mom shit just to say like even if you do move in here and put posters of porsches on the wall it's never going to feel like yours because the first thing that was in here was a sewing machine and so i went to live with my dad you know i've told this story yeah but uh but then I moved into that room and then over the course of time, like it was just clear that it was, I wasn't, I needed to be somewhat more sequestered. And we had a large basement in this house, footprint of an entire floor that <clears throat> was a, was a, a sunken bay or I mean, three of the four walls were just, were just windowless walls. And then the back wall was all windows and and a sliding glass door, except it was underneath a, a covered porch that was on the second floor. So basically this entire basement never saw the sun. There was daylight coming in from one wall, but it was Alaska. So in the wintertime, that daylight amounted to nothing, basically. Uh -huh. You know, the sun came up at 10 and went down at 2. So there was no, it was dark. And then in the style of the late 60s, early 70s, when they built this place, their decision on how to, um, how to 
how to kit out that basement was they paneled the walls in unfinished rough sawn wood like a barn. Hmm. So the walls were barn wood, which is, as, as you know, is very uh, reflective and really light and cheery. No, that was sarcasm. It's not. Yeah. And, and then they built these it's your light- like It's like you're living in something that was meant to contain other lumber. Yeah, right. Or meant to contain livestock of the, and the kind of livestock that isn't valuable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then the lighting, they up up along the walls, they built this. They built these um, sort of uh, like how would you describe them? Um, they were cantilevered little, not little, enormous light fixtures with that sort of bumpy plastic sheeting inside, mm. you know, the sort of bumpy translucent sheets of, of bumpy plastic. I think I know. Yeah. And then each light fixture had four light bulbs in it. And there were 10 of these light fixtures throughout the basement. So 40 light bulbs going to illuminate this basement. And the boxes were also built out of barn wood the light boxes were built out of barn wood with this bumpy translucent plastic such that 40 light bulbs going at once could not like produce almost no light. It still felt like you were in. This, this uh, sounds like a, like a John McCain jail. Like, yeah. Oh, well, you were in a Batman's lair. Basically. Yeah. If a Batman's lair was made of, it was a barn. If Batman's cave was a barn. It sounds like a hard place to be cheerful. It was pretty doomy, but it was built in the in the early late sixties, let's say, as a party space. So there was a bar with like <laughs> orange. Uh, it was like an orange bar <clears throat> with a sink and a refrigerator and a and shelves for glasses and and booze. And then around the back there was a sauna and a like a tanning bed. What in the old in the old style, which is a piece of foam. On a on a bench, also orange, and then two light bulbs. Oh, those those, those pitiless <clears throat> sun lamps. Yeah, tanning bulbs. Not not a tanning bed with those neon bulbs, but like like yeah, red hot red sun bulbs. What were they called? I know what you're talking about. The tanning lamps. Tanning. Like, lamps. like you would get these things, and they would get incredibly hot, and they. I mean, I don't know much about the effects of light spectra on yeah. our cells and stuff, but they were pretty cancery. Yeah, they produced ultraviolet light of you, some You kind. would get burned real fast on those things, one way or another. <laughs> and so there was a sauna and these UV bulbs. And <laughs> this a, sounds like somebody's little uh, suburban torture dungeon. It sounds well, awful. And to to make it to you know to to finish out the. The um, were there meat hooks hanging from the ceiling? Yeah, to finish out the decoration, yeah, there was a giant uh, doll sheep head. Oh dear, hanging on the wall above the television. So yes. there was this, like, there was this, and it was a big sheep that had been killed by my mom's boyfriend. Oh. It was his. It was his little bit of addition to the to the decor. That's what he. That's what he chose, chose to keep, huh? So when you were down, da- when you were down in the basement with all forty lights burning. Uh, produce, producing the the the, uh, the illumination of like mm, dusk, dusk in a storm, 
dusk in a sandstorm, uh, you would look up and this like dead sheep would be eyeballing you. At, no matter where you were in the room, the sheep was looking at you. Yeah. And at a certain point, my mom was like, why don't you just live in the basement? And so they put a bed down there, thankfully sort of close to the windows so that there, so that I had a sense of light. But that was fine with me. Like I was a cave dweller anyway. And I had my own. I never used the sauna. No one did. It just became a place to, to put the Christmas wrapping. And I never used the tanning bed. Uh, and I never used the bar for anything. But I had this enormous space that was mine that I could, you know, I could shoot bows and arrows down there. It was really. Um, oh, I bet you could throw knives. You absolutely could throw and knives. And it wouldn't even I, like mar anything. I had a 12 foot long bullwhip oh, that man. I would sit down there and practice with until I, until I hurt myself very badly. And then I would hang it in the closet again and say, just stop playing with the bullwhip. Leave <laughs> just it. leave it. Every time you do it, you have a really good time for five minutes, and then you <laughs> lacerate yourself. You're so close to needing an eye patch. <laughs> you do not know how to use this thing. Stop playing with it. And then I would, you know, I'd see it again, and I'd be like, oh, well, this time I'm going to get it. This time I'm going to be like, dun, 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 dun. I'm going to be able to take a gun out of somebody's hand with this thing. And then I would come back and, and stripe the ow, back ow, of my ow, neck. Ow, ow, like, ow. ow. Uh, but it was a it was a good, I had a really good time down there. We had that's where we put our uh, IBM PC with sixty four K. Oh, sweet! Um, a lot of K. It was a lot of K. I had a I had you know that's where I would go make out with my first girlfriend. But you know I I also was I wasn't the type of like nerdy good kid that would watch other people do fireworks. Mm-mm. But I wasn't down. I wasn't having orgies down there or anything. No. My mom one time. Uh, was wondering why the humidifier didn't work anymore, and she opened up the top of the de- humidifier, and it didn't work because it it was full of bottles of booze. Oh, see, and she was like, "Hmm, this was a good hiding place. Mm-hmm. You should have just done it just a little bit better so that it didn't." A for uh, effort, John. Glad you finally uh, got an A. <laughs> it didn't affect the operation of the machine. It was a great idea. It was the old fashioned kind of uh, humidifier that actually had coil. Like a, uh, end up like a puddle of water in the bottom. Yeah. So you could sit your liquor bottles in there and keep them cool. Oh, disco. Wow. Nice. Super disco. Oh, geez. I was yeah. very into throwing sharp things. I liked darts. Mm-hmm. I liked uh, knives, sometimes kitchen knives. I would take all the kitchen knives and I would see, I would try to get the right distance from the wall where it would get like, you know, a couple little Thunk. turns. And yeah, that that was a good feeling. And eventually I got into, uh, you know, throwing stars, shurikens. Shurikens, sure. You can pick those up at the flea market, unsharpened. You sharpen them yourself. And now you could uh, throw shurikens. Shurikens. Mm. Shurikens. Shur- uh, shur- did, did you ever carry shurikens to school? Only in my wallet, yeah. You have Little a, ones. a mini throwing star that you carried in your wallet. Yeah, yeah. Later I had, I had a condom I never used. But for a time I had the, a shuriken shape in my wallet. And did you... Uh, deploy it? <laughs> did you ever deploy it? <laughs> no. No. The better ninjas do not keep their weapons inside of a pouch in their back pocket. At nice. least not the primary weapon. That might, be, that might be the one for after you've been searched. You hope you still have that one like, like in your sock. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. no. No, no. Uh, I'm not sure who that was for. Did you do things like that? Well, it was clearly for a girl. Yeah. <laughs> when you pulled your wallet out to pay oh, this? The- oh, this when I pulled out my Adam and the Ants Velcro wallet and it had a shuriken in it. Yeah. Oh, this? Oh, this? Here, let, here, let me buy your snow cone. <laughs> Throw it through the air. Bonk. Falls on the ground. Donk. Oh, here. Yeah. I, you know, 
Had a little Good. Chinese character on it. So did you think, as you were walking around, did you pretend as though you were a ninja? Uh, that was not, I was, well, I would later on get into functional ninja things, like mostly running around in people's backyards with a sweatshirt over my head, but functional ninja. Did you ever have the toe shoes? No, no, I didn't go that far. We had, we had sweatshirts, we had uh, rubber chucks and later actual nunchucks. Yeah. And, uh, we would carry things that we imagined a suburban ninja would need. Mm-hmm. Well, think, one of the things that defines ninjadom is sweatshirts. Absolutely. <laughs> you look, you look at any, yes, any of the original literature, uh-huh. most ninjas wear sweatshirts. Uh-huh. So we had that, and mainly it was just about sneaking around at that point. Yes. I can't imagine how many retirees we scared by like running past their air conditioner at nine o'clock. Oh, <laughs> they probably weren't thinking ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Casper. To learn more right now, please visit casper.com slash supertrain. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that you can get for a fraction of the price that you're going to pay in stores. Casper, it's a mattress that provides resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort. Casper's mattress is a one-of-kind. It's a, a new kind of hybrid mattress that combines premium latex foam with memory foam. And these two technologies come together for a terrific night's sleep. It's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. It's an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. You go out and go to those monster retail stores. You're going to find mattresses that cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses are shockingly affordable. The prices start at $500 for a twin-size mattress, $750 for full-size, $850 for queen, $950 for a king-size mattress. You're not going to beat that deal. Not at this quality. I'll tell you, my friend. You know, here's the thing. Casper mattresses are made in America. These are made by mattress nerds. They make this whole thing so easy for you. They're, 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 the whole thing is different because Casper understands, okay, that this whole mattress racket is a racket. They know that. They're going to present that to you. You do not want to get involved in these with these people. They're, they're animals. This is an industry, okay, that has inherently forced consumers into paying notoriously high prices. But Casper, mm-hmm, they are revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms. And then they pass that savings directly onto you, the sleep-desirous consumer. Casper understands that buying a mattress online, yeah, it seems a little weird. Might leave you wondering how that's even possible. Here's the thing, though. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and returns within a 100-day period. You try it out for 100 nights, and if you don't like it, they'll just take it away for you. Lying on a bed for four minutes in a showroom. Who wants to do that? What kind of animal are you? It's going to be a third of your life. you got to really try this thing out. Run it through its paces, if you know what I mean. That's why Casper has turned the buying process into this risk-free experience. They understand. Casper mattresses are shipped to your house in a box that you can carry like a person and opening them, it's an awesome experience. It inhales, it goes, <gasps> and turns into your beloved mattress. You're going to love this thing. I've had mine for over, I think, a year and a half now, and I still love it, and I'm grateful every single night. Listeners of this program will get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash supertrain, and you're going to use that very special offer code, supertrain. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to Casper for a great night's sleep and for supporting Roderick on the line. <laughs> <laughs> they were probably not thinking ninjas. No. No. I, I you know. 
<laughs> Honey, did you see that? It's, it's probably right just, it's just those ninjas again. It's the ninjas. We have nothing to fear. No, but see, this is, again, this is a thing. I, I This has come up in some form or fashion before, but, you know, it's the classic American male thing of, like, for example, I've never driven a car, but I have seen lots of car driving. I've seen fast car driving. I'm pretty sure I'd be a good fast car driver. Right. I've seen so many fight scenes. I bet I'd be pretty great in a fight. Sure. And in this case, like, I've seen stealthy ninjas. Uh, I certainly, if there's anything in my grasp, I could be a stealthy ninja. I, too, am a stealthy ninja. Yes. Yes. I spent a lot of time. There were there were things. So I had to walk home from school, and I spent a lot of time fantasizing during the walk home. You had your, had your key on a red string. Had a key on a red string. Walking home from school. And part of the reason I walked home from school, I mean, there was a bus. But you would take the bus, and then what would you do? You'd just be home. Yeah. And I wasn't somebody that went home and read comic books or played video games. You got, I, you got a special projects. Yeah, I would sit at home and just, I would stare at the wall if I was at home. So why not walk home? It would take me an hour or so to walk home. And I would fantasize the entire way home, just, just in a state of total dream uh, place, right? Where the, the actual, like, I was perceiving the world outside. I was looking at things also. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, it was, I was far, far away and and. Early on, one of the things I, <laughs> one of my fantasies <clears throat> was that I lived in a richy rich world. Oh, I've had that fantasy. Where I was a very wealthy boy and, and I had a bunch of adult things that were scaled down, a la Bugsy Malone. All right. Mm-hmm. So I had a Rolls Royce. But it was a half-scale, a Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow. But it was a half-scale Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow. So rather than having to walk home, I would drive myself home in my imaginarium mm-hmm. in my half-size Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow. Now, it, <clears throat> I, would, I, I, I am picturing myself driving this Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow on the bike paths of Anchorage, Alaska, right? I'm, the fantasy doesn't extend to that I'm living in Monaco. No, it's not plausible. It's not plausible. But, but in your imaginarium, you can very easily uh, place it there. There's all kinds of ways for a young person to feel fancy in their head. That's right. Th- that this, seems weirdly plausible. When I see a Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow on the road now, and most of them only exist as wedding cars mm-hmm. anymore, uh, but I still picture myself in it and picture both me and the car as being about like three-quarter scale. I'd love to see that. But uh, then I got introduced to Lord of the Rings, as we all do, about, you know, I think even now if you get introduced to Lord of the Rings for the first time, it immediately transports you to 1980. At least that's how Isn't I imagine it, it like, works. I mean, in, in John's case, and, you know, I, I, we talked about this here, we talked about, I've talked about this with Syracuse, it sounds like it's something that somehow most guys who wouldn't even self-identify as a geek or whatever, but you discover usually around... Uh, middle school, junior high, like late, yeah. late elementary school, middle school, junior high. Is right. that right? Seventh, seventh grade for me. And then I was, then the concept of all of that and, and, and Lord of the Rings and D and D came together for me as, as they should as a package deal. And then I spent the entire time walking home from school, conjuring spells. Oh, conjuring this spells. is the conjuring era. I was conjuring spells. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is is this along that I'm sorry to interrupt, but it was later on that you would attempt to actually conjure an orb. That's a little later, right? A little later, yeah. This was just the beginning of like, and also, also like uh, when I was little kid, and people in Seattle talked about underground Seattle, 
which is a neighborhood in the, on the First Avenue that they raised the level of the streets at one point during one of their many redevelopments of downtown. And in raising the level of the streets, they just, they just covered over the first floor of shops and stuff downtown and just decided that now the second floor of buildings were going to be the first floor. They did that in Chicago. Yeah. When they, when they wanted to, would they add like uh, plumbing? Or they, they added like a whole like, like septic sewer system and they raised Chicago like a story. Yeah, they raised it up. Raised it up. In Anchorage during the 64 earthquake, it, uh, the buildings actually fell a story so that they had to... Oh, that's no to, good. You know, they, they call it pancaking here. Yeah, that's not good. Pancaking is bad. But the, but the buildings weren't destroyed. They just dropped one story so that the front door of the buildings was <laughs> like now at the Bunny street cartoon. level. Yeah, wonk. <laughs> and they just cut new doors. Like, pretty crazy. But people in Seattle would talk about underground Seattle. And when I was six or seven years old, I imagined that that meant that any time you dug in the ground anywhere in Seattle, there was a city under there. Oh, there's like a second Seattle underneath where you are. If yeah. you just know how to get there. If you know how to get there. Oh, we, dug a, we dug a lot of holes looking for the roof lines of underground Seattle. But by the time I was in junior high, of course, I knew there weren't cities under the ground. But I did suspect that there might be dungeons. Mm. Right? If you could just find the entrance to the dungeons that were... I mean, I'd sound like a dumb seventh grader. I wasn't one. You don't. But I mean, think about it. Like, if you've gotten to the point where you have a city that can sustain... To even two of a Chuck E. Cheese restaurant, you have to imagine that somebody had the forethought to put a dungeon in. Sure. Like, there's so many, many cooler things that we hopefully were made. I'm guessing probably in the 1800s, because that's uh, when you make a dungeon, right? Well, but there weren't, the 1800s didn't play in Anchorage because there was no 1800s Anchorage. Okay. But, you know, I still think about my own house and how expensive it would be to retroactively install a dungeon. Oh, you've been wanting tunnels for a while. Tunnels and dungeons. Yeah, what they call them, monk hole? I don't want to talk about it anymore. Understood. But, uh, you know, and I'm not talking about shipping containers buried in the desert dungeon. I'm talking about, like, stone-walled dungeons. Oh, you're not like, like a 12-year-old like girl in a Reader's Digest article. Not that, no, not that kind of thing. Not that kind of dungeon. With a, with a, with a pipe. Oh, I remember reading that. Harrowing. No, that is harrowing. I don't even want to think about that. But you'd make a sexy dungeon. There'd be a sexy component. But there'd okay. be a lot. There'd be other. There'd be you know. There'd be a. Uh, there'd be safes down there and stuff. You know, it'd be full of safes. It would be basically. safe. It would be safe. It would probably be comfortable. Well, no, but I mean safes. There would no, be no. Like I'm sorry. Bolts. I mean, I'm, I have a problem sometimes of, of using words. Mm. But it would probably be. It would be a, a secure location. That's right. Better put. And I bet you could make it comfortable. I would be very. comfortable. It wouldn't be made out of barn barn lumber. I'd be so comfortable down there. Oh, really, God. I would. Every once, so I, and the thing is, if you rang the doorbell, it would flash a light downstairs, and then I would, then I'd go on the closed circuit TV, and I would look at you and be Just decide if uh, you can pull pull the trap door. That's right. I'd, I'd make a decision then, <laughs> but I, I never had any ninja. I had never had any affection for ninjadom, and I don't know whether it's because I I wasn't introduced to Bruce Lee the same way that other people were. Like certainly, he was around in my childhood. All the sort of kung fu fighting was all there. I just never, I never identified. I can tell you why. Um, this, we're, so here we're talking about the very early 80s. Uh, ninjas were still cool. Ninjas were still a new-ish idea. I think America got burnt out on ninjas. There's too many fucking ninjas today. 
There were uh, they're ruining. They're literally they're ruining TV shows that are on TV right now. There's too many ninjas. You're telling Nin- me there are ninjas on TV right oh, now? Oh, they're ruining TV shows. Here's the thing: a ninja. I mean, and there's people who have like I think there's published theories about this. The more ninjas that you add to something, the less interesting it gets. You need one ninja that you almost never see. That's cool. It's sort of like the fifth roommate. It, oh, I, I'm looking at this photo right now. It's completely if, freaking. If me your out. fifth roommate is a ninja. Your TV show is more interesting. But this is why this is why I thought I, I would want to be a monk. Like monks were the coolest. Monks were like well, like you know, like in D and D, like the character class, because a monk could do stuff. They had the vibrating palm. They could go down. I think they could fall four feet per level. Wait a minute. What's what good is a vibrating palm? Oh, I, brother, I you do guess. not want to get the vibrating. <laughs> I can guess. <laughs> all right, easy. <laughs> but you could do stuff. You could do all kinds of stuff. It was uh, it was sort of like what was it? It was like um, it was part. A lot of fighter, maybe some cleric, but there's a lot of dexterity. And one of the cool things was, if memory serves, forgive me, please don't van hoot me on this. I'm pretty sure you could fall four feet per level by, like, bouncing off the wall. Monks were the coolest. Mm, That doesn't seem that cool. Why would I want to fall four feet per per level if I could cast, if I could conjure an orb? Mm. But then you, gotta, you got to rest. It's like here, here's you two gotta guys. you got to rest. There's here's so much guys. resting with the One magic guy's people. One got, got like a big trouble in little China-style electric orb hovering above his hand, and the other guy's palm is vibrating. All right. And he's, and he's falling. It doesn't have the same visual appeal, I, 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 I admit. But it just seems like you guys on the campaign, you were just always having to take a nap, especially at the lower levels. There's a lot of napping for the uh, magic people. Well, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to napping as long as there's somebody watching over. So you're you're walking. I would also like at some point to get back to secret spaces because as recently as last night, I had a dream about a secret space. I dream about them constantly. I think about secret spaces a lot. But you were walking down the path, the bike path in your uh, in your three quarter size uh, Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. Then eventually, you were thinking about conjuring things. I was, and and, and you know. Uh, this is the thing about junior high. You're not thinking it all the way through, but I was pretty sure that was the way to be successful with girls. If I could, I mean, think about it. I, 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 I like you, I still continue to not think it all the way through. You don't have to sell me on this. <laughs> if I'm standing at an all-school dance. Yeah. On comes... One, one, uh, one guy does a fucking card trick. The cards just keep coming out of his sleeves. That's pretty cool. Where are these cards coming from? I can't get rid of these cards. I can't get rid of the cards. And that's exactly what I mean. I'm leaning against the wall. And, you want to be Cardini. Here comes uh, here comes uh, Devo's uh, working in a coal mine. <laughs> and uh, like... <laughs> John saw John make that orb. The cool, wow, the cool wow, girls wow, wow. Uh, go, go out on the dance floor. And I'm like, God, I wish I could go dance with the girls. Wow. But if I was over there, just like, oh, by the way, <laughs> bow, wow, wow, like who would be dancing uh, with these uh, guys? Nobody. You'd be I your would, own your own private devo. I'd Pe- be like, people would people would be taking note. And then where are all these cards coming from? And yes. pretty soon I'd be like the king of I'd be I'd be queen of the scene. Fans and fans just coming out of his sleeve. He can't mm-hmm. get rid of them. What the what? Card? I checked it out. His name's Cardini. I, yeah, people aren't going to know what we're talking about because they don't hear our car- private conversations. We're talking about the the great the great card artist uh, Cardini. Cardini. I go to throw my cigarette away. There's a and cigarette in my mouth. There's again. a cigarette again. And then what's with these cards? He keeps he, perfect fan of cards is produced. He can't get rid of the cards. They just <sighs> keep coming out. Throws them away and then they're back again. You know he was married to that lady. Yes, I did know that. Yeah, 
and she uh, wore a bellhop outfit. She did. And if, if I could, if I could find <laughs> a woman, I'm so glad who, I didn't see that when I was 12. <laughs> if I could find a woman that would wear a bellhop outfit, I'd be married. Service. <laughs> <laughs> who would stand there with a with a wastebasket while I threw cards into it? <laughs> I can't get rid of these cards. And she never says anything. She's she, just there. With she a, just it, smiles. <laughs> she just has a, a like a Cheshire smile and is just uh, picking up the. But cards. you know what? The cool part is she'd never get sick of it. She'd still think you're so interesting because of your card sleeves. Yep. Wop, wop, wop. Oh, and then an orb. But this is this is also not to take you off your story. This is another boy pattern. Is that like I'm pretty sure there's this one thing that if I got really good at this, everything would fall in place. Maybe for some people that's a ninja, for some people that's an orb. But well, that's like, why there are guitar players. Yeah, God. Snatching the coins, snatching the coins off your elbow, right? There's so many things out there where you're like, if I could just master this one thing, I do this at lunch. Frank Frank Kufel's walking around with his tennis racket. I get out there, I produce some cards out of my sleeve, and I'm getting more tail in Sinatra. Did you did you ever do any cigarette tricks? Uh, my cigarette tricks were very modest. Mm-hmm. I would do match tricks. I could do some match tricks. I could do some very minor, like first level uh, Zippo tricks. Have you, oh, first level Zippo tricks are good. Just the, uh, just the whole like this thing, flunk, like where yeah, you do flunk, your fingers flunk. and you open it with the thing. You know? Well, oh, oh yeah, the snap. The snap, the snap open. with two fingers on. I'm making I'm making sort of like a bowling ball gesture with my finger. Yeah. Your thumbs on the bottom of the zippo, and you you make it open and make that noise. Oh boy, those smelled good. Didn't they smell good? Well, yeah, I carried a zippo for a long time. I had a and zippo had... collection. That's one of the few collections I've ever had. Uh, you had like Vietnam zippos? No, I didn't have like Death's Head zippos or anything. I had like a Kiwanis zippo. I had a Chesterfield cigarette zippo. <laughs> Kiwanis zippo. I told you the yeah. Kiwanis story. You yeah, you did. But it's, I, but when, I, you're, I, when you're ready to become a man, you let me know, is what the guy said to me when he wow. saw my Kiwanis Zippo. Wow. When you're ready to become a man. Wow. Come, well, we, you know, I've discovered over the course of this program that we have a lot of listeners who are actually Masons. Because I, are we, they allowed to tell us that, John? I think they are because they, as they have reminded me many, many times, there is not the Masonic uh, uh, Brotherhood. Is not actually a secret organization. They are they are more than happy to explain almost everything about Masondom. Wow! With the addenda that I not actually use their last name when referring to them. Oh, it's like AA. Oh well, it's just like they don't want to hear from somebody else in their lodge. <laughs> oh, about okay. it. I bet but, it's a little bit like when you're reporting. You got on record. You got off the record, you got background, and you got deep background. On the record is you can say that John Roderick said this. Yeah. Like, off the record is you can say uh, somebody who's highly, or like, you can use this information, but you can't say who did it. Background, I think you can only say stuff like somebody highly placed in the Roderick group said this. Deep background is you can only use this information to find other information. I'm very interested in deep background. Yeah, deep background is good. I don't, as far as the Masons that I know, which is... Not not a small handful of Masons uh, distributed across the country and the world mm-hmm. who contact me every time we talk about uh, Masondom. Oh, boy. And say, as I've said before, we are not a secret organization. I'd be happy to walk you through the steps. Let me explain again things that you can Google about our... A fraternal organization that does many helpful things. It's a things. service. It's a, they always point to the service organization part. And the fact that they wear uh, elaborate costumes is just part of the fun. A Shriner is never taller than when he stoops to help a crippled child. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Or when he climbed they used to have that a printed very on. small car. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, I would see those. Oh, buddy, I would see those and think I would look pretty smart driving around in one of those. I wonder if any of our listeners are Shriners. See, Do they feel, even still exist? I, this is the thing. I'm sure it exists, but like I, it's, I, I'm so... I so think of that as something my grandfather is. He was a Freemason yeah. and he was a Shriner. He was in school. He was in Scottish Rite. He was in Scottish Rite right. and he was a Shriner. And uh, he was pretty into it. Oh, yeah. There he was had, a Shrine He had the Fez. Just... He had the bolo tie. He had it going on. He didn't have the small car, though. <laughs> Not that I ever saw. He, he passed when I was fairly young. I, there might have been a car that was in the estate. I just never saw it. I think uh, I think when you pass as a Shriner, I think the car is is, is sent to the next young guy, Hakuna Matata. No, I think you're buried in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, comically, my grandfather's funeral was grotesque because first of all, they did a pretty crap job on his makeup. So so he looked like he just had some kind of like like bad plastic surgery. And then he had the Scottish Rite funeral. So they put all this stuff in the coffin, and we were there. We got to see the stuff they put in the coffin. There's a whole thing. They give you an apron. I think they give you a magic wand, uh, maybe some exploding cigarettes. I'm not sure. But there's a whole bunch of stuff they put in the casket with you to, to go to your reward. Tell me more about that. Yeah, that's what, all. I don't what, remember it super well. It's pretty sad when he died. Right. Um, but what, 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 was the, what was the number one thing you saw in his casket that made you go, hmm? Uh, well, okay, so for, it's hazy. I was 12. But right. also, I don't think we were actively encouraged to be super involved in that part of it. It was like they got the last bite at the apple before they closed the lid. And so I don't know what went in there. There, there could have, I, I don't think it was a whole car. But it, they, you know, it's like they were pounding might, their might, might have been a matchbox. They were pounding their seal wings into his coffin. Mm. Hmm. Oh. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, so he was pretty into that. Um, yeah, I, I, I assume that it's still around. I guess you're going to find out. People, you can write a letter to John if you would like to talk about Freemasonry. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I know I know plenty about Freemasonry, and I have a good sense of the members of our... Oh, you don't uh, need to be Mason-splained? Extended, our extended family includes many Masons. I have been schooled Some from many different directions. Some of my best friends are Masons. <laughs> but the um, oh, and we made uh, we made a terrible mistake about uh, about the Knights of Columbus, and uh, the, I was corrected on that very intelligently. I didn't. But uh, well, no, you didn't. But I did. They're 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 a Catholic group. Who, this is the you, thing. No, they you don't... inverted. You and I. Here's the problem. You and I sometimes understanding understand something very well. In life and in our head, and then somehow we each manage to say the exact opposite of what the true thing is. Yeah, we invert, even though thing. we know better, because we have a kind of intellectual dyslexia. Yes, and yes, and or and yes, <laughs> but <laughs> no, but I, but so far I have never been Shriner's blamed, and I would I'm, so I don't want to hear about ma- masonry again because I'm very up on it, but okay. I do want to hear about Shriner's. I got, I got guesses. Shriner. I got guesses. I think it is like all of these groups. It is it is presented as a public service organization, which is smart. Yep, yep, I yep. think I think you have to be introduced to the group, like sponsored, if you like. Again, like yep. AA. Yep. And then uh, then you probably got to do a lot of scut work for a while. You got to like I don't know, uh, cut people's cigars, wash cars. I bet I bet there's stuff where there's a hazing period. Maybe I know there's a lot of spanking. And then they act like they blindfold Jack, like they're going to throw you off a cliff. That's the Masons, right? My mom. Is there a lot of spanking? My mom, well, here's what my mom said. Hmm. My mom, so here, my mom loves all people to the same degree, which is to say not very much. But she, both my mom and my dad, and I've said this before, neither one of them, they were, they were the two least racist people I've ever met in my life. They have no, they had no, uh, they saw no color at a time when that was very unusual. 
But my mom was racist against two groups of people, hillbillies, and we've talked about this a lot. She is still racist against hillbillies. I don't think we're supposed to use that term <laughs> because, well, that's how she would describe that. But that's where she's from. Yeah, she's from. She's from she's Ohio. From, like you think you you don't know from rural Ohio until you know Marcia. <laughs> you don't know from rural Ohio, and if you cross the if you cross the border of of one county and go into the other county, you're now in hillbilly country, and she hates them. She hates them. She hates them so passionately. She says things all the time, like. Uh, we never should have fought the Civil War. We should have let the South secede and they would be a third world country and we would destroy them in war. Wow. And I'm like, okay, mom. Is it, uh, is it a term that she still uses disparagingly oh, about, oh. look at those hillbillies over there? Uh, no, she won't do that. But like Trump culture, oh. she's just like, we should have let them secede and then we would destroy them in war. Not late, Like later. We should have let them build their own economy. We should have let them keep their evil practice. It's good. It's like Muhammad Ali and the rope dope. You like let them wear themselves out and then boom. Well, yeah, she was like that whole that whole we, we fought the war at the wrong time, I guess, is her philosophy. Like the whole uh, states rights garbage and keep the union together. We should have ignored that whole thing and fought the actual war about slavery later and then defeated the South and salted the earth. I'm like, hey, 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 Sherman's March. Like, cool your jet. Like, this is not a thing that we still talk about. Uh, and she's like, oh, it's a thing I still talk about. So she doesn't, so she's racist against Hillbilly. She's like the opposite of a William Faulkner character. <laughs> she's so. She she's has not so forgotten, north. but she's no, not forgotten something very different. No, she's so north. And she says things all the time. Like, this is, this is the crazy thing. Like, she sometimes talks about Bonaparte. The, like, the Frenchman? Yeah, Napoleon. Oh. We, all call them, we all call him Napoleon, but she still talks about Bonaparte in a way that has been transmitted through the generations of her family from a time when they, when he was a living person and they had a nickname for him and he represented a certain uh, idea of like internationalism, anti- anti-British empireism like she'll 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 refer to Bonaparte wow I'm like Bonaparte the way uh, the way like people in you know the early 20th century would refer to Germans as the Huns well yeah or like that, it had this implication of not just identifying your ethnic or geographic background but something about your character it's absolutely about his character and she she refers to him familiar familiarly as though we would say like oh Bush you know or Bush two or whatever she's like well, Bonaparte would have blah, 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 blah. Wow. Bonaparte. Bonaparte. But uh, so she has several of those things, and some of them seem like they have been translated through the Quaker side of her family uh, from, like, Calvinist times. Small, small prejudices against, uh, against like, people of different sects. Like, not against people of different nationalities, but, you know, it's like there's a doctrinaire element. But, like, there's this, I know what you're talking about, like, in, it's almost like the way that people talk about, uh, not to go all Garrison Keeler here, but, like, you know, Lutherans um, versus Presbyterians versus yeah. however, where, like, you like, the most people today who are, let's say, a religious 
or yeah. non-religious would go, that is so weird. This sounds like the Butter Battle book. Like, what do you, what do you talk? These are non-existent distinctions. They're all just Jesus people. They're like, oh, yeah. no, oh no, no, no. My mom has very, very strong Their idea about... of the Eucharist is flatly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Every single different Protestant denomination, my mom could make very sweeping generalizations about their character. We were like that about the Baptists a little bit. Oh, sure. Everybody was. The Baptists the Baptist seemed pretty extreme. And actually, it turns out my friend John went to a Baptist school for a while. There was no dancing. No. Uh, there was no music. And no. it wasn't like we did a lot of dancing at the Christian church. But the Baptists seemed a little bit... And also, the Baptists were famous. No offense to the Baptists out there. But the Baptists were kind of famously evangelical at a time before that became a thing. Like in, well, the, the, like, in the 80s, you got used to everybody being, like, evangelical and in your face. But the Baptists... if you, like, So, you come to my church... You know, you go to White Oak Christian Church, and you're going to go to VBS, you're going to make some shit out of popsicle sticks, you're going to sing an awesome song in a major key. You go, to, and, and everybody's going to be like, hey, come back anytime. You go to the Baptist church, and they're like, you know, you know you're Catholic and going to hell, right? Like, you, you, you understand, like, you nine-year-old, that you're going to have some problems in the afterlife. The, well, you they're, remember they're, the, they're, the, these the, Hollywood fat cats, these Vatican fat cats are not telling you about. It's the, it was the moral majority, the rise of the moral majority. And L- before later, that... Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I remember that as being early 80s because... They, it, it definitely was 1980. 1980, I think, is around the time that that really kicked in, yeah. And before that, yes, mom like mom would say things about Baptists that made it sound like they were eating dirt. Or the, hill, like they, the, hill, the hill people. <laughs> yeah, they lived on raw crawdads. <laughs> and when there was no crawdad. <laughs> <laughs> they ate sand. And, and they would fight with banjos or whatever. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, but... But then all of a sudden, Baptists were everywhere. And <laughs> this could be hard or easy, Eustace. Now, I can't meet an indie rocker without finding out that they're Southern Baptist, right? They, 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 yeah. They're like a very large part, portion of American Christianity. They, they, you know, they stored them up for 20 years like hothouse flowers and then started releasing them, I think, in the mid-2000s. Yeah, there was that moment when uh, Christian rock went two different directions. Uh, one direction uh, was the direction of like Guy Fieri rock, where people had, were wearing bowling shirts with flames on them, and they were like Jesus. <laughs> and then the other Christian rock, which is like man bun rock, where everybody had uh, tattoos of doves on their chests mm. and were playing the Glockenspiel very aggressively. <laughs> And it's like, whoa, that's uh, we're we're finding Jesus that way too. There's a lot of different Jesuses, and I don't know which I don't know which kind of rock to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you the, can still tell it. Like if we're flipping around on the radio, my wife better than me. My wife can clock it. There'll be some kind of song that comes on that sounds pretty indie rock, and she'll be like, "Turn that off. That's Christian rock." I was like, "Come yeah. on, come on. This is I just feel, gentle indie rock." I feel like there's a setting on the compressors. At the mastering studio, mm-hmm. which is like, let's just set those compressors to Christian rock. It's a little too jolly. Oh, you're talking major key. Yeah, right. Could because be they don't want to get all... But there's something, you know, um, they sound like they're smiling mm-hmm. when they're singing, which is not a bad thing. But if you can really tell that it sounds like someone's smiling, it seems manic. Well, Eddie Vedder smiles when he sings, but it's a grimace smile. It's like a he smile. Has, of he's like, more of a rock, a rock rictus. A rictus, right. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, you're right. They're smiling because if you frown, it lets the devil in. Mm. <laughs> but uh, with like, the other the, uh, over the last ten years, I have realized that my mom still has very very strong opinions about the War of the Roses. My goodness, like, really? Like she takes a side in the War of the Roses and cannot and has and there are people within the British royal family today that my mom cannot abide for reasons. 
that have to do with the War of the Roses. And I'm just like, this is not a, this is not a regular thing. <laughs> and and just, just to, I mean, for me and the audience here, your mom grew up on a farm. She did. And I mean, and with very, very modest means, uh, right? I mean, it was pretty... Well, her grandfather was a postman, and being a postman during the Depression was actually a pretty good job because it was a regular job. You weren't going to lose it. He, also, he was also a farmer, but like the postman thing... But she wasn't going to Kumon to learn about the War of the Roses. No, This no, was no. something that was... This was part of the... Fa- I'm guessing here. This was part of the family's uh, what oral history, like what we think, what we believe in. Like we're Coke, and, we're Coke people, not Pepsi people. This, this came up like around the house, like more than once a month. Well, her great-grandfather, of course, fought in the Civil War for Ohio. And... At that, if you look at a map of the South and a map of America at the time, the South comes all the way up. So on the East Coast, there are like all the way from Maine all the way down to Maryland, you know, the North is pretty long mm-hmm. up there uh, versus the South. But at, at, at the point where Ohio touches the lake, the North was exactly one state wide, which is Ohio. And so the Civil War had a lot of – the Civil War had a different feeling, I think, from the vantage point of Ohio because the South was much wider than the North at that point. And if you look even within the state of Ohio and the patterns of migration of people to the West, Southern Ohio is still – Southern Ohio was populated with Scots-Irish. And so, oh, who are the people that my mom is referring to when she says hillbillies? That's that's totally my family. That's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm from Cincinnati. Most of my family's from Kentucky, and they're like all uniformly English and Irish. Yeah, and then in the middle of Ohio, there are people that you know. There are sort of um, what you would call Northerners from a Puritan kind of mercantile class. I have to amend that because I almost made a giant error. Also, lots of Germans. I mean, it's Cincinnati. Oh, right. We have right, lots right. Of, there's, a, there's a lot of, you know, in Pennsylvania and throughout Ohio. But anyway, sorry, continue. I, just, then, I would feel bad if I didn't acknowledge my German heritage. You have to acknowledge the Germans. Man. I mean, look at my last name. Merlin Mann. <laughs> it's not O-Man. But then right across the top of Ohio, there's this tiny, thin band. It's got to only be 120 miles wide. That is uh, Quakers. And... Like Quakers and, and, and Pennsylvania Dutch or, you know, German Calvinists. And Pennsylvania Dutch, we have learned, is a misnomer. Right. They're right, actually of course. German. They're, They're Pennsylvania Germans. Deutsch. Pennsylvania Deutsch, exactly. So, so there's this tiny little band of what they, I think, in Ohio regarded as the last vestige of, of civilization in the entire, like, middle portion of, of North America. And they really still they felt like a bulwark, and they and some of that persisted at least into the fifties. I'm not sure how people in like Toledo and uh, Van Wert feel now. I, I imagine that it's all just Denny's and Sherry's there, like it is everywhere else now. But then it was yeah, it was pretty strong feelings. And, but but what's crazy about it, and I think it's the same in my father's family. Their connection to the past is still so strong, even as they, even as they have lost exactly what their problem was, or exactly what their what was going on. Right. 
Yeah. But like my mom, if you start talking about the Lancasters and, uh, you know, and like the, the Duke red of roses York and the white whatever, roses. Yeah. Yeah. She's gonna, she's gonna, like this whole business with Richard III, she's got real strong feelings about it. Is he the hunchback in the parking lot? Uh, in the parking lot. That's a terrific Morrissey song. Yeah, that's a the hunchback in the parking lot. <laughs> the hunchback in the parking lot. Did you read that story recently about when Morrissey appeared on the Johnny Carson show? <laughs> no. And the, and the other guest on the program. You know, Morrissey finally appeared on the Carson show in like 1991, right after Carson had announced his retirement, but before he was gone. Wow. And the other guest on the program that day, Bill Cosby. Oh my God! And so there should be an ESPN thirty for thirty on that. That's it's, amazing. It's an incredible moment in top in, headline. Twenty five years ago, Morrissey ruined Bill Cosby's appearance on the Tonight Show. Yeah, well, not only ruined it, but like actually ruined. Like Johnny Carson said on air several times, "I wish I was already retired." Wow, because there was all this pent up Morrissey energy. The Smiths had never appeared. The Smiths never had a hit, really. Mm-mm. Like so. Within the popular culture, there was very little actual awareness about the Smiths and who the hell is Morrissey. And Morrissey had gone on record several times saying, like, why is Belinda Carlisle on the Carson show and I'm not in his in his wonderful style, his his humble and admirable style. Thank you. But he arrived on the scene and like everyone in the audience was a Morrissey super fan. They completely disrupted the show, ruined it in every way, screaming for Morrissey throughout. Oh, no. And you can see Bill Cosby and Carson, these two dinosaurs at the, you know, from the end of the, from the, the long ago times, trying to grasp, you know, they make comments about people with blue hair and it, it really, really like a, a transitional moment. And uh, I thought that you would. I thought that'd be a thing that you would love. Also, I mean, I think about this from my own point of view today. There's a few things that are more insufferable than a a loud audience screaming enthusiastically for something you've never heard of. It's kind of maddening. I'm trying not to be that guy because I've been that guy. uh, And I've been on the other end of that. I've been on the other end of that. But I mean, like, there's something like on a show like that, that must, especially with, let's be honest, with a gay guy coming out. I mean, that's, that was probably, that was probably not the best place for him to be. But he, but it was a triumph for him, right? In the in, in that he was able to um, like he'd, fight, he'd arrived. He had he was finally on the Carson show, and and I, I thought there was a really good quote from Morrissey when he was like, "I am tired of being this successful with no recognition." I bet he said, "Weary." I'm weary. I'm I'm so weary being this successful. I'm weary of success at this level, the level. So weary that I that I mentioned that I'm weary. <laughs> Your Morrissey is amazing. I picked this third and I'm sticking to it all day. I cannot uh, imitate Morrissey for <laughs> lots and lots of reasons which should be suffered. Uh, you've seen the footage of when they might be giants from there though, right? It's incredible. It's we talked about this, I guess, but like I, I can't speak for the Johns, but they seem so like legitimately joyful to be playing well, with Doc Severinsen's yeah, band. Yeah, and they've got the whole band cranking, and you know, Flans always had that on stage. Uh, that Flans went un, underwent a transformation in in a way that like Linnell had a certain on stage quality that he retains to this day. 
He, yeah, he, he's like, he was like the talented dork at the talent contest, but like he never really seemed like he was that happy to be up there. But he was kind of smirk smiling. Adorable. And looking at the camera to a certain degree. Like he was he impish. He was impish. He recognized he was sort of the front man of that era, and he was, uh, he was, he was present in what was what he was experiencing, and and still is in the same way. But Flans early on never looked at the camera. Like if you look at that Carson thing, he is not looking at the camera at all, and he's doing his, he's doing his Flans thing, and kind of not in the background exactly, but like he's herky jerky. And he's, he's that was part of it, the bit though. Like it, it yeah. became like a like a. There's so many like kind of bits visually for them that were part of their thing, like the big head guy and all that. But like also in all their videos, there's a lot of deliberately like meta herky jerky dance moves that are clearly uh, to me like meant to be like an art like art rock right. parody of rock and roll. And if like you, the, the, you know uh, the, they might be giants invented the term "pass the dude" that we use to this day. Like when crowd surfing first became a thing, I think Linnell would refer to it as "pass the dude," and well, like so, I still use that term. Like they had this like not uh, overwhelming but but clear distance from like the mainstream rock stuff. And and so when you saw Lin- or uh, Flansburg do that, uh, you know it, it was it was tongue in cheek. But now you go see them live; he legitimately just fucking rocks out. Whatever that transition was. Like not not all of us say past the dude. Still, I should make that clear. Well, it's not the thing that it was. <laughs> but but if you took Flansburg out of those early day might be giants moments, and it was just Linnell <laughs> singing and playing the accordion, it you wouldn't say that this was nerdy art rock, right? It would just be it would there would be something going on. Linnell playing the keyboards, especially it would be closer and, to like solo Jonathan Richmond, where it would be fun and enjoyable. But it would be a pop. different kind of thing. It would be pop, right? Yeah, right. And, and and but something, and this is the thing. It was something happened in in within the they might be giants dynamic, particularly in Flansburg, a person I know quite well. That I do not, I'm not sure. I was not following closely enough to watch that transition. And I think it might have been when they added a live band, mm-hmm. where Flans took over, to, became a different character on stage, and then was very much like looking at the audience. Present in a different way. And also, those arrangements. I mean, I, I wouldn't go so far maybe as like a Zappa conductor, but like having he added so much of the color to what makes that a memorable song, no matter who's singing it. And he, he gives so much of the palette and the texture and like deciding what horns go where. On the Carson show, it feels like he is a member of the Severinsen band in a way. Like he's interacting with the band, which is a huge compliment. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a band. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when they appeared on Letterman for the first time, and they had Paul Schaefer and his oh, band. Oh, God. Jo- mugging jo- away on his Hammond. Uh, turn turn <laughs> but, it down, Paul. But, you know, you saw <laughs> you saw Flans more comfortable, or at least differently, like, interacting <laughs> differently with Differently comfortable. <laughs> differently comfortable is a perfect description of They Might Be Giants. They Might Be Giants. Differently, differently comfortable. comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I definitely feel like... Uh, like an heir to that in a way that I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said before and like I wouldn't have in 1989 thought to myself I'm going to be an heir to this I mean does that go down all the way to your like comedy rock solos yeah but like you, exactly you it's right. it's it might be seen as ironic but you're you're playing a rock and roll solo and you're getting into it and your glasses are flying off and you're falling on the stage and it's actually pretty fucking great 
Yeah, but I'm also aware that it is a that it is a pastiche of rock. I'm I'm aware that I am I'm commenting on rock solo, but I'm also really really enjoying rock solo, and and that's that's a product of the era. That to and and in that sense, it's an heir to punk even. Um, through through a they might be giants refraction, mm-hmm. right? Like the to whatever degree that they might be giants think of themselves as part of a of the punk experience, and then they refracted that and you know and that that ended up influencing me. But you wouldn't listen to my music and think uh, anything really. <laughs> you wouldn't think <laughs> you wouldn't think punk. You certainly wouldn't think metal. You wouldn't think. I mean it. The music, as recorded, sounds very much like the 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 very specific early indie soft rock, and that's not it's not in the songwriting, especially. I have trouble putting your stuff. I have a lot of trouble putting your stuff in a box. Somebody tweeted at me a few days ago saying, um, "What did he say?" So I think he said something along the lines, "If he likes, you know, the long winter stuff," and he asked me in particular, like, what I would recommend from today's artists that would be comparable. And I felt like there's like three different ways I wasn't sure how to answer, not least of which I'm not up on music today. But honestly, without kissing your ass, I've always had a hard time with the comparisons people make. I don't hear what they're talking about. Unless you're overtly like quoting a Judas Priest or ACDC cadence as a thing. I I don't hear the REM stuff. I don't hear all that. Right. And so it's hard for me to even say. Which I heard a lot at the time. Really? Are you really influenced by XTC? And I was like, not really. And I don't hear the comparison. Maybe shapes? I, uh, the the thing I hear a lot is, and I heard it at the time, like people would come to our live shows and they would, they, they didn't tweet at me because it didn't exist, but they would email me or comment on message boards uh, and say, I went to see them live and they were like the fucking who I loved them. But then I listened to the records and it's so soft. I can't get into the sounds because mm. it's so soft. It is very different. And I hear that still from people that are like, I listened to the band and I just couldn't reconcile it with the person I know from the podcast because I like hard rock and you talk about hard rock and I assumed it would be harder rock. And I'm like, yeah, when we were in the studio, we were recording those tunes and Chris Walla was the producer and it was an era, a specific era that was suspicious of distortion, suspicious of loud bass and big heavy bombastic stuff even coming from a punk rock place like and so but your songs didn't want that i don't think they could have been recorded in a way that if there was one more guitar on every track that was that just was going through a rap pedal and playing the e string only Mm-hmm. Not an open E only, but but following the chord progression, but just playing on one string. Down, da down, da down, da down. It would just be more rock. It would sound rock. I sure. I mean, it's your music, but like I, one of the things I treasure about, um, uh, in particular, uh, the green one. I want to pretend to fall. Is the is first of all, as I've said before, I think it's a. Uh, a triumph of sequencing in the tracks. And I really, I would not want you to feel like you had to change Blanket Hog or you had to change It'll Be a Breeze. Like, I'm glad there's not a dung, dung, dung on It'll Be a Breeze because right. that is the pacing. It's an album. It's a fucking album. And I, I, I like that it has its little 
ups and its downs. And then that triumphant, like, last third, like, when you come out of the second side and it starts... Dun, 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 dun. What's that one? Dun, 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 dun. What's that one? Let's still start a, t- start, start a side two. It's... Uh, you know... <laughs> No idea. Stupid. Stupid. See, I'm not a poser. I know your songs. I just don't know what they're called. Sure. But the song Stupid, which I always think of as the beginning of side two. Right. I don't know if you intended that way, but that's what it feels like. Because there's like the big sunset of like, oh, the big crazy ending. You got the big like, you know, the end. And then you start, why am I telling you this? Who cares? It's the Tom Petty thing, right? Tom Petty's like, look, man, you got to have the... The first song on side two's got to be killer, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, we got to have a we got to have a side two. But stupid's a classic example of a song that when we played it live, it was much harder rock than it was. And even as we were recording it, the drummer Michael Schilling said, "Why are you not making this more rock?" And I was like, "Well, I got all these little, I got chime. I'm putting chimey guitars on there." Also, the when you play it live, what I always remember, if I'm remembering correctly, was it was much more crunchy. But also, you would play up the weird rhythms of that song on in your guitar figures in a yeah. way that you didn't hear in the seemingly I wrote this on an acoustic guitar version on the record. Right. You would play up these these funny little special. I'm trying to remember, but I, I can't do it off the top of my head. But I would remember always thinking like, why is he making this like more janky? But it worked yeah, in the, the, the live the, context. The, the accents are in places that you wouldn't expect. Yeah, but I think and that's I also think, how you sing. So it complements how you sing so it makes it more uh more pokey in the way that you you kind of punctuate and uh do your enjama mall which right. i think I was, another uh, great thing from the Mavic giants like line run over like such a great thing i was trying to make it pokey because that's what girls like mm. but i think the example and i and i can't believe that we have we have generated to actually uh music critic music criticking my own music here <laughs> but but uh Prom Night at Hater High, which should not be named that. It was named that by the by Josh Rosenfeld, the head of the record company, in one of those weird last-minute things where the song had always been called Jet City. We still put it on the set lists as Jet City. Oh, really? And at the last possible minute, it was it was Jet City when I started to write it. It was Jet City throughout the whole nine months before the record came out. But Rosenfeld in like that record label thing where the record label owner is like, huh, maybe I should make a contribution to this. Why don't you change the name of the song to prom night at hater high? And I was vulnerable enough or susceptible enough to that kind of contribution that I was like, Oh, uh, okay. Hmm. And then it went, I mean, seriously, he said that as we were doing the artwork for the, for the record. You're, can't, do you still think of it as jet city? It's absolutely jet city. No I mean, that's, shit. What, that's what we write on our, on our, uh, wow. and it's a way better song, uh, way better name for the song. Uh, but the recording of that tune, which when we play <laughs> it, in fact, new girl was actually originally called a uh, 14 point type. Yeah, it was called 14. Point, no, it wasn't. <laughs> but, uh, but when we were recording that song, I mean, when we play when we play Jet City live, we play it like a like a Rolling Stones song from Exile on Main Street. Yeah. And when we recorded it, I mean, and that's how I wrote it. But then as we were recording it, we were like, why don't we get a violin player in here? And then the violin player we got was uh, Sarah from Carissa's Weird. I love her parts on that. And she's playing a kind of fiddle. She's doing a fiddly thing. Plus, you got her, don't you have like lots of like crazy harmonica on that one? Yeah, fiddle and all kinds of other stuff. Hillbilly, that, hillbilly music. Hillbilly music that really hillbilly-fies the song. And what the song 
what the way it was written and the way I think now probably it should have been recorded was with some down and down and you know like it should have just been a rock and roll song but that wasn't our instinct at the time it was like let's throw the let's throw the whole refrigerator at this and we don't have a we don't have another uh another song with like a hillbilly violin so let's so that's one thing we haven't explored yet. Let's put it on this song, you know? Like we were trying, if you listen to our music, we're just trying over and over to put every style of everything in, in the records. You have a credit and, for Dr. Dre keyboard, if memory serves. Dr. Dre keyboard. <laughs> uh, Scott McCoy is on one of the songs just standing in the studio quietly. <laughs> and we have Scott McCoy on a track where really we just, we put up the mics and he stood in there and stared at us. Uh, through the window, and yeah. we just recorded Scott McCoy standing in a room, and we included it on the track. Uh, so it was that impulse, and that's a very uh, they might be giants impulse too. Like let's uh, let's do weird things even in the studio that no one will ever know about, and but it but it'll be fun and artistic. But the thing was, we never developed the long winters never developed a definable and unified sound. And that that would enable somebody like you now to say like, oh right, uh, Owl City. They sound like they sound the like uh, yeah, Postal Service. I mean, ridiculous. Or like uh, or Interpol sounds like Joy Division. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm and I'm use those examples as ridiculous examples. Uh, Silver Sun pickups sound like uh, Billy Corgan, the smartest boy in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, there's not. You can't even say about the Long Winters like, oh, they're rock and roll. Because it's not, I mean, that's the way we, that's the way we are live. And I'm a rock and roll person. But at the time we just were, we were going as completely, we were exploring the art of recording as separate from the other arts. I'm glad you did. I wouldn't change a stitch of it. I, 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 uh, I really treasure those records. You know, so, I mean, as much as like, yeah, well, the worst uh, you can do as harm is, is a really, really good record. But in my head, I still sometimes think that it's, I, I still encourage people, and I hope you approve or don't hate me for this, but I still encourage people to start with um, When I Pretend to Fall. I, I think you might even be able to enjoy Where She Can Do Is Harm more after that. What yeah. do you think? Do you think it should well, go chrono? No, not necessarily. I do think that the first record is, you know, I was coming out of the Western State Hurricanes where we were a very rock, rock band. And I was I was making a lot of decisions there that were re- reactive or they were reactionary. Like the hurricanes were this thing. Now I'm doing this other thing, which is different. And, and if I'm, you do a hurricane song, it's going to sound really different. Super consciously making it sound different. Uh, by pretend to fall, I was just writing songs and recording them how I wanted. And then uh, putting the days to bed, which I talk to people all the time where they're like, that was the first record of yours I heard that's the I one I like the best. so weird. Um, and that's one where I was like, again, maybe more consciously saying like, I want to get, I want to bring some rock and roll back into the band. I want the tunes to be a little bit more rocking or, or you know, to a, to a degree that doesn't seem incongruous, but like, and, you know, and that was, that was successful and not successful, depending. Hmm. Um, the video... Uh, it's awful. Don't even talk about the video. I oh, no, no. <laughs> no. I hate videos. No, uh, Western State Hurricanes uh, on 29 Live. 
Yeah, still and that's, up, still up on the YouTube. That's the problem with the Western State Hurricanes is that that was I was still coming out of the Bun Family Players with the with the Hurricanes, and in the Bun Family Players, there was no song that we could not ruin with a with a different time change in the like a different time signature. <laughs> on you the think bridge. you like this? You yeah, don't like this. Hey, what if we? What if some? What if the drummer if stood up this at harder, this point? What if we make this harder to like? Yeah, what if the drummer stood up in the middle of the song, stopped playing the drums, and played the French horn for for two minutes? Um, that sounds cool. Uh-huh. Like completely influenced by not even. I mean, not even they might be giants. Influenced by just um, like equal parts rush and circus contraption. <laughs> um, <laughs> 